read it all again, and then uh, our main focus will be 42 through 47. So starting in verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if Abraham's, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, here's the reality, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. So why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So I want to start by just giving a review this morning of where we've been looking at. There are nine principles here that set forth for us what a false disciple looks like and what a true disciple is in, in, in some ways. And so the first principle that we looked at was in verse 37, where it says this, and this will be this is a consistent theme as Jesus is establishing this, is that false disciples ultimately have no place for the word of God in their lives. They're, they're just not going to allow it to, to have any say, any kind of work, and this is the reality of these religious leaders. They are not allowing uh, Christ's words to have any kind of place in their lives. The second principle that Jesus shared with us is the first part of verse 38 where he says, I speak what I have seen with my Father. And so false disciples, though they are in and around the right things, Hearing much of the right discussion, they ultimately, if there's a rejection of Jesus, they reject the image of the Father and the understanding of the Father. Because our clearest understanding of the Father comes from Jesus Himself. And so He tells them here, I have seen these things of my Father, and I'm communicating them to you. And so false disciples ultimately don't really know what the Father is like because there's a rejection of Jesus. Thirdly, we saw that first week is that false disciples ultimately have a false father. Jesus hints at it here. He's going to give the clarification and the definition of what that looks like um, in a minute. But he says, you do. So, so you do what you hear. Your father is speaking and you do what you hear from him and you live that out. And then lastly, last week, we just dealt with one particular issue. Last week in verses 39 through 41, And we dealt with that false disciples are great at affirming the saints or other kind of names, but rarely do they live up to those 
that they are affirming or they make much of. And, and the caution last week, as we talked about, was is we are to not make much of any name but one name. There is one name that has risen above all names, and that is the name of Jesus. Abraham, that they were clinging to, could not save them. Now, Abraham gave them the example. They were to place their faith in the one that was to come, who was the promise of Abraham. But Abraham wasn't the one that was going to forgive sin. Abraham couldn't extend mercy. Abraham couldn't do these things. And so as they claimed genetically to be connected to Abraham, Jesus said, spiritually, you are not. And it's not enough just to be connected genetically to Abraham. And so we, we talked about that last week, that there's one name, and we've got to be really careful in regard to what we make much of. His name matters most. And so we come today, and we will look at the fifth principle in regard to what does a false disciple look like. And I just want to remind us this morning, these are not, I didn't get a tablet out and go, what does a false disciple look like? Okay, we are walking verse by verse. Jesus is sharing with us, how do we be aware of what this looks like um, among religious people? And again, I want to stress that as well. Um, He is not dealing with um, uh, atheists or agnostics here. He is dealing with people who are leaders in a religious group. These are people who are steeped in Scripture, and yet they are deeply confused about that. And so... As we've talked over these last couple of weeks, I'll say it again this morning, there, this is the greatest place that you could be, a place where the Scripture is going to be proclaimed today. But it can be a really dangerous place for us just to hear it and go, oh, yeah, heard that, been there, done that, heard that again, and heard that over and over again. If there's never a yielding and never a repentance and never a turning, then we end up just like them. Be religious, and we can say the right things, and we be, can be passionate and, and devoted to things, but we will be off course on what's truly biblical. So let's look at the fifth principle this morning, and it's this, is that false disciples ultimately don't love Jesus, nor do they recognize his mission. So look at verse 42. So Jesus is responding to them based on what has been shared, they're claiming we're connected to Abraham. And then they upped the ante last week. We talked about that, that, that they said, well, we also have, we have God as our father. And so they, so they communicate that. And then so Jesus is responding to that in verse 42. And so he said to them, if God is your father that you're claiming, you would love me. Here's the mark. You would, you would love me. And here's why. Because I came from him. And I am here, and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And so Jesus saying here, he's, he's communicating this. Listen, since you're claiming that God is your father, then there's something that ought to mark your life. You ought to love me. And here's why you ought to love me. He loves me, and he had a divine perfect mission, and that was to send me here to you. And the fact that I am standing in your midst shows his great love for you his great purpose for you his great calling for me and my mission to come and to bring salvation to you and to reveal who the father is and so jesus tells them that most natural byproduct of knowing god 
is loving Jesus. So in other words, you can't say, I love God, but I don't love Jesus. That's not biblical. You can't say that. You can say that, it's just not biblical. And it doesn't line up with what Jesus teaches here. So these are really clear, defining lines that Jesus is giving. Now, let's deal with this just for a moment. Now, the Jews had an understanding that God was their father. This, this came from Old Testament texts. There were places in the Old Testament where they, they could make this claim because it's written in Scripture and spoken through the prophets. So let me just give you a few of them that, that shapes how they, why they were saying that God is our father. Exodus 4.22, God tells Moses, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. So you get the idea there of fatherhood. Deuteronomy 32.6, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you, and who established you? The prophet Isaiah wrote of this idea as well in 63.16. For you are our Father, speaking directly to God. Though Abraham does not know us, though Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. One chapter later in 64.8, Isaiah writes, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Last book of the Old Testament, as it was closing, the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not God created us? So they made this claim very boldly. We have God as our Father. They just didn't do it in great humility. And there's always, in our bold declarations, we should always... Be reminded of Peter's bold declaration. I will never, never deny you. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Hey, tonight, I I just need you to know that Satan's asked to sift you, Peter. So in our bold declarations, there should always be a humility. and, And you and I know why. Because this thing right here can be incredibly deceitful. We can make bold declarations in one moment, and we can also, sometimes we can just make um, bad decisions on the other hand. So here they've made these bold declarations. We have God as our Father, and Jesus says, listen, man, I've got I've to I've tone this down with you. And here's what, I, here's what I've got to say to you is this. There is no room to say that you love God the Father, but not me. You can't say that you know Him and not love me, for they are... The Father and the Son are intimately connected with one another in nature and purpose. And so, as they make this bold claim, Jesus, again, even though He's being very direct with them, He's being very loving. It is, it is loving to be truthful, and He's given them another opportunity as He stands in the presence to remind them that they needed to believe in Him. So He's reminding them, if God is your Father... You would love me, for I came from God, and I'm here, and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. No nation on the earth should have been more prepared for the coming of Jesus than Israel. We read this past week in Romans, as we're going through the W4 this, uh, right now 
The, to the Jews, Romans 3 says, they were given the oracles of God. They were given the testimony. They were given these commandments. They were given this word to know about the one who's the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. And here's the reality. Readiness does not always guarantee righteousness. As a matter of fact, for the religious leaders, arrogance led them to be unprepared. They had created their own word and, and made this word and added all these lists connected to the law that surpassed the law in many ways or was equal to the law. And so they, they should have been ready. It didn't result in righteousness. Though they had been given the oracles, they found themselves unprepared for the coming of Jesus. And the proof is their great declaration that we know the Father and in their response to Jesus that they didn't love him. Now, John does something interesting in his gospel. All through the gospel, John wants to highlight for us um, the reaction people had to Jesus. So those who welcome and love Jesus, they get life, they get healing, there's hope, there's blessing. But to reject Jesus places one under the judgment before Christ, right where the religious leaders are in this moment. And they are passionately claiming to be faithful followers of God the Father. And yet, watch, the Father's perfect purpose was to send Jesus. Yes, he would die. But they are wanting to kill Jesus for a complete whole other reason. Not for the purpose of redemption, but for the purpose of self-preservation because they saw Jesus as a threat. And so as they claim to be these faithful followers of God the Father, they ultimately didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. And their choices indicated truly where they were, not born of God, but children of the great murderer of all that is righteous, children of Satan. Now, two bold claims that are really important that I, we need to deal with here before we move on to the next point this morning. Two huge issues addressed by Jesus here. And the first one is this, is he's communicating, you need to know this, men. I came from the Father. He came from the Father. So therefore, a true disciple comes to a place of understanding Jesus' connection with the Father. So he's telling them, men, I've come here because the Father sent me here. I was with him. He sent me here on mission. And my purpose is to be here and to be in his purpose and plan. For I came from him and I am here. Jesus was here because of the ultimate perfect purpose and plan of his Father. And he tells them there, he says this, and I am here. I came from him, and, and I want you to know I am in your midst. I'm here, present with you, and you can come to a place of belief. And if you know him like you say you do, you would know by looking at my life, hearing my words, seeing the things that I do, you would clearly see him and me. He and I are one. He's been saying this ever since John chapter 5, over and over communicating to them. The most natural byproduct of knowing God is a deep love for Jesus. It's just natural. It's, an, it's a natural byproduct of that. And if there is no love for Jesus, then I would say this, then there's really no knowledge of God. Because a deep knowledge of God leads to the one that the Father greatly affirms 
in whom he is well pleased. And do you remember what Jesus said? At the, or the Father said at the transfiguration? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. So the, those that were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were able to hear that reality. See, you and I have to keep in mind, what's the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament? It's the story of Christ. The Father's perfect plan in the Old Testament was to lead and prepare the people to be ready for the coming of Jesus. So the story of the Old Testament is the Father's great love for the Son to reveal and prepare this group of people in which the Son would come and they would be a shining light to the nations. And then He came, and the New Testament is this great unfolding of the glory of Christ. The Gospels, we get to see what Jesus said and did. The letters is this explanation of, of what is true about Christ and how to respond and worship and walk in obedience and what to avoid and all that kind of stuff. And so watch, the Bible's great revelation as well is the Father's love for people that we would see who Christ is in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so here are men deeply steeped studying the Old Testament. The one the Old Testament is about is standing in their presence communicating to them, saying to them, if you really think you know my Father, you need to know this, my Father loves me, He sent me to you, and if you don't love me, I'm just telling you, you don't know Him. And again, I just want to say this morning, these are not my opinions. This is Jesus sharing with religious people, deeply steeped in the Scripture, that the most natural thing that should happen from a deep knowledge of the Scripture and a deep knowledge of God the Father is a love for the Son. It is a love for Jesus. And so Jesus says, listen, I came from the Father. And so therefore a true disciple gets the connection between me and the Father. And secondly, he came sent by the Father on mission to please the Father and to carry through with what the Father purpose was for him and so therefore a true disciple knows and recognizes always the mission of Christ and his mission in the world is to redeem people into a relationship to reconcile them back into a relationship that was his great mission to come in the father's purpose and plan in that his perfect plan for that and the reality in Jerusalem on that day is they hate the Son, they don't love Him, and they don't receive His Word nor the Father's plan. And ultimately, they were rejecting everything. And as long as they continue to do this, there is no hope for them. And we know most often that those who are in the faith, because you can see it, they just love Jesus. I love hearing people talk about Jesus who love Him. And I think you do too. You just, there's, just, there's something there in that language and that passion of people expressing their deep love of Jesus that comes from knowing the reality of the greatness and the glory of who He is. So God's people who truly love Him, they love the Son, they embrace the Son, they worship the Son, they love the Son's words, they sing of the Son, they share of the Son, And God's people love his mission of reconciling the world back 
to the Father. By the way, this is what Abraham did. He received the Son. He believed in the one that was going to be the promise that was told to him in Genesis chapter 12. He believed that. Never saw it. He saw it from afar. Never saw it with his eyes. But he believed. And that faith is what marked Abraham as the father of faith in this great example. Now, before we move to point two, we need to deal with this because if you look around at our culture today, our church culture today, there are a number of people in and around the church who have an idea of what the mission of God is. And it's a man-centered vision. It's less than the biblical vision. And I want to just touch on a couple of things because I think it's important. If you listen to speaking, if you read blogs or books or whatever the case may be, whatever it is that you hear, podcasts, you will hear this, speak people in quasi-leadership roles or whatever you call that out there in the blogosphere and internet land, writing things and talking about things, and this is what you'll hear. God's ultimate mission for us in our life is to make us happy. And you will hear this pretty predominant. Now, I want to make sure that this is not misunderstood. I think God's into happiness. He's not against happiness. Let's make sure about that. But I can just tell you this. What he's into more than anything else is our great joy. And great joy comes. Happiness is connected to good feelings, good circumstances. Joy brings a depth to our life regardless of circumstances. Think about Paul. So he, in his first imprisonment in Rome, writes to a church in Philippi and says, Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. I have been in a prison, not as a prisoner, as a visitor. And I don't want to live there. And you particularly 2,000 years ago didn't want to live and spend any time in a Roman prison cell. And Paul here communicating in Philippians 4, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. And then he writes, we love Philippians 4.13. We don't praise Philippians 10-12 through 12, where Paul writes, I have learned to be content in any and every situation. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to not have anything. And I know this because... Christ enables me and gives me the strength to handle any and every circumstance. Listen, church, his great aim for you and I, the Father's loving aim for you and I, is not ultimately our happiness, it is our Christ-likeness. And Christ-likeness, most often, if you'll read Acts, if you'll read the letters if you read the words of Jesus in the Gospels saying what will happen to God's people, if you will read biographies of church history, great joy in Christ-likeness comes from difficult circumstances and pain and God doing a work forcing people to get on their face before Him. And in those moments, He molds and cuts off and chisels off the things that we don't need so that we will be more like Him. And there are people in the church today who preach and teach and write about God's great concern is our happiness. Secondly, this is still around. It was around when I was a teenager, and you will hear this today, is 
is that one of, one of the things that God does is He just gives affirmation of the choices that we make because after all, we're going to make some mistakes and he, we can just ask for forgiveness and He'll just forgive us. And I just want to remind us today that yes, He will forgive us, but He is deeply concerned about unrighteous decisions. That matters deeply still to him. And so he doesn't wink at mocking decisions and and things that we do in our lives. And so this idea of playing on his great grace, Romans talks about that too. We will get to that eventually in the weeks to come. We can't do that. And so he doesn't wink at those things. And so he, he... He is very clear in regard to calling us. Yes, He forgives. Yes, He restores. I'm so grateful for that. I hope you are too. Are you not grateful? Then in the mess that sometimes we can make of our lives, that He forgives us and and we get to be restored and we can be passionate again for who He is. Here's a third one, and it's kind of connected to the others, and then we'll move on. Is that many people think that God's great mission is to keep us in comfortable situations and circumstances. And that's why so many Christians get thrown off when an unsettling thing comes into their lives. Because they don't recognize and understand that godly people who deeply love Jesus are people who have been put through the crucible. You are the potter. I am the clay. He's going to put his hands on He's going to squeeze. There's going to be pressure. And he's going to shape. And when he does that, in our surrender, he does something incredibly beautiful. So church, just as these religious leaders were wrestling with this, we cannot miss this. His great mission, the Father's loving mission for our lives, is to mold us to be like his son and to know the truth. And do you remember what Jesus said earlier? This is a response question. I need to hear responses. You will know the truth in the what? And the truth will set you free. It sets you free. But you can't know the truth if you don't know the Son. And if you reject the Son, you're rejecting the Father, and you're rejecting the, watch, the whole testimony of the Old and New Testament. You can't claim to know God if you don't love the Son. The Son, the revelation of the Old Testament, is the coming one and the glory of who He is. The the glory of the revelation of the New Testament is He came. Just like Jesus says here. And I am here. He tells them, I am here. Let's look at number six. False disciples never arrive at understanding because they can't bear his word. We come back to the same critical reason why they are false disciples or the underlying reason of that. So look at 43. So he, it's a question if you'll see in your Bible, but it's really a statement that Jesus makes here. He's basically saying, listen, I'm going to pose a question here, but I'm, uh, but I'm going to tell you why this is the case. So why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. So Jesus tells him here, here's why you don't know the Father. Here's why you don't get my mission. Here's why you're missing me. Here's why you're rejecting me. Here's why you don't understand what I'm telling you. It's because you cannot 
bear it. You can't stand it. You can't stomach it. You cannot bear to hear what I have to say. They have a God understanding issue that is deeply, deeply affecting them. This is also nothing new, by the way. Matthew 16 gives this great example of the cluelessness that can be sometimes around religious people. So the beginning of Matthew chapter 16, 1 through 4, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and he tells them, listen, you can look at the sky, Pharisees, and you can look at the sky and you, you can, you've learned how to figure out if it's going to rain or if it's not going to rain. You've been able to do that, but you cannot decipher the times that are now that the Messiah has come. Well, the very next verse, when that's over with, Jesus begins to teach about watching out for the teaching of the Pharisees, the leaven. But there was a reality among the disciples that they had done. They had forgotten bread. I don't know who was responsible for the lunch packing that day, but nobody went to the kitchen. Nobody packed lunch. Nobody packed bread. And so Jesus is talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, and they're like, oh, man, he's upset. He's bothered that we don't have any bread. So they think he's talking about their bread of earth, forgetfulness. And so he speaks to them, and he says, oh, you of little faith. And if we could take back to the future, back 2,000 years ago, he would go, McFly, McFly. He would go, come on, come on, come on. Do you get this? Oh, you of little faith. Why are you talking about amongst yourselves the fact that you don't have any bread? And he's telling them, I'm not talking about literal bread. And so listen to what he says. Do you not perceive? Do you, don't you understand? Do you not remember, man, you were there, but do you not remember the five loaves and how many were left over? Do you not remember the 4,000 and the bread. Men, I could make bread right now if I wanted to. I'm not talking about bread to eat. I'm talking about something completely different. So he says to them, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And just a few verses later, Jesus says, listen, we're going to Jerusalem and it's not going to go good. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be killed. And Peter grabs him by the arm and says, don't like the plan. I've got another plan, and I'm not going to allow this to happen. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, you get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. His word stands, every word of it, and he does not need our opinion on it, by the way, or our validity over what he says. It just stands. His word stands forever. And if we don't set our mind on the word, we will be forever confused like they were in Matthew 16. Just missing what is being said. Now we have to honestly deal with this. I mean honestly deal with this. How does a group of people study the Bible their whole lives? 
be deeply educated in the things of God, no biblical principles, how do they stand in the presence of the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, after seeing, and they saw miracles, how do they come to a place to refuse to believe? Well, Jesus answers the question, what does he say? You refuse to bear my word. Jesus tells them the reason they don't want to repent, that they're not going to come to faith, they're not going to believe, is they are just not interested. They have zero interest in listening to what Christ has to say. So in 837, back there we saw that, I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. This phrase, no place, means that they're not going to allow the word to have any kind of progress in their lives. Let me tell you what unbelief will always lead to. It will always lead to an ignorance of who Jesus is. Always. Unbelief leads to an ignorance of Jesus. And when this happens, as they are intentionally just refusing, I am not going to listen to anything that you have to say. This is most often an intentional act of the will to refuse to listen. And this is what they're doing here. They are just not going to listen They refuse it. This leads to a path of being spiritually deaf. Just having no ability to understand the reality of this. Now, ultimately, only Christ illuminates the Spirit, illuminates and helps us to hear and understand. But this is, Jesus is telling them, they are willfully choosing a path to not listen So it's an intentional act of the will to refuse to listen. That's what they are doing. Um, They are choosing the path of being spiritually deaf, deaf, not death. Thirdly, the fruit of this choice is to live with a man-centered understanding and never a Christ-centered perspective. They refuse to hear, therefore they refuse to understand. They're getting angry about it. They attack it. You see this today if you've ever talked to someone who who just refuses to believe, they get angry and there's attacking and belittling. And fourthly, it leads to you being your own God and the own guide for your life. Now they would have said, that's not true, God's our guide. No, and Jesus, but do you notice here, again, not my opinion, Jesus is telling them, God is not your guide. If you're refusing to love me, you don't know God the Father. And he's going to tell them in a minute exactly who their father is. Matthew 5, 15, 12 and following says, the disciples came to him after Jesus said something one day and they said, hey, did you know that the Pharisees, they were offended when you said that. And Jesus was like, oh, sorry. Let me run back there and make sure everything's okay. He answered, listen, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted, not established, not a true believer, it's going to be rooted up. Every life is going to be rooted up that doesn't believe. So you just, he tells them, you let them alone. Let them, let them pout. Let them be angry. Let them be upset. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So I want to deal with this just for a moment because I want to make some practical practical application because I think it's important here. 
that we just don't think, okay, well, people back then were like that, and people like people today, we're not like that, and we are. False disciples never arrive at understanding, ultimately, because they've rejected the one whom the Father sent to reveal the Father, and the one the Father sent on mission to redeem people, And when this one who was sent to redeem speaks and he teaches and he proclaimed and and they just refused to listen and, and just willfully said, I'm not listening to anything that you have to say, that's still around today in and around the church. It's subtle, but it's clear. And let's look at it for a minute. So what are some reasons today people in and around the church can't bear Christ's word and I think the first reason is just simply this some people just think it's too hard and too heavy see Paul said it like this and it's heavy language there's great freedom and life found in it I have been crucified with Christ I've been put to death and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You mean I've got to to lead my family biblically as a father? Yes. You mean I've I've got to lay my life down for the cause of Christ? Yes. That's just too much. You mean I... There's an expectation that I have to come to church? Yes. There's an expectation I need to get with other believers to study the Word? Yes. The Bible writes about all of those things. Is there a call upon my life to watch my language? Yes. So some people just don't want to accept Christ's words because they're like, it's just too hard, too much too costly, infringes on my freedom. Here's a second reason why people today can't bear the words of Christ. Is there are many people who have preconceived ideas as to what truth is. And they may be in and around the church, and they have an idea, and then when somebody proclaims something and shows them what it is in the Scripture, and it shatters this preconceived idea, there's a decision that has to be made in that moment. And it's either just to walk away or it is to watch. We adjust His way. We don't ask Him to adjust our direction. He's not changing, by the way. And He's not changing His Word. And here's the great danger with preconceived ideas is some people look at parts of the New Testament and they say, well, that was for 2,000 years ago. The culture was very different. But we're in 2021 and things have changed and so roles in the family are different today or this is different today 2,000 years later. And I just want to set forth this morning that is a dangerous conversation. 
where we began to say that if the Holy Spirit is the author of the inspired Scripture, then we need to be careful that we don't say that he had no clue about 2020. And if you start picking and choosing what was cultural back then and not relevant today, then you can begin to do that in all kinds of places. So I just, this is where I know there'll probably be some disagreement potentially this morning, but I just, but I, my, my role is to exalt what's written. I, I have no greater role this morning to exalt what is written. And I think that what is written, regardless of it being written 2,000 years ago, regardless of the culture 2,000 years ago, is absolutely relevant to today. Exactly written. And so people who have preconceived ideas or people who, well, I'll believe so far. I'll believe to hear, but, well, the Bible says this, so I'll believe the Bible up to here. And I, I, that's a false way to view truth and scripture and so the issue for us is and this happens is people just ignore what the bible says and we just adjust our way and make a new standard which is exactly what the religious leaders were doing that was their problem they had established their own truth not adjusting and bearing with the words of christ now listen i'll just be i'll be wholeheartedly honest this morning the Scripture gets all up in my face all the time. It's hard to walk in this. Some days my flesh just wants to rain Doak Taylor's life. And i got to cry out, help me. Help me today. Help me in this moment to surrender to the Spirit's work in my life. So we're not pretending that walking the truth of Scripture is easy But what we're saying is walking in the Scripture is life. And it's right. And it's whole. And it's righteousness. And it's Christ exalting. And there are many people today as well who don't bear the Word of Christ because they have those limits that they agree with to a certain point again and they reject other things. I was thinking to the, yesterday, this is handwritten in my notes here, I was thinking yesterday about this past year. And I say that, I said this the first time of the past year. It's 2021, I know that, but it feels like 2020 sometimes, and so I'm kind of stuck back there mentally. Maybe I'll catch up to 2021. Boy, it's been a tough year. Think of all the things that could destroy a church, create disunity, among the people of God. There are all kinds of views of the virus, multiplicity of views about the virus and things connected to it. There are all kinds of views about mask, not mask. There are all kinds of views about um, should you have church during this time or not have church. There are all kinds of views about that. There are all kinds of perspectives on a lockdown. Um... On top of all that, it was political season. And there are all kinds of different perspectives and different things on all of that that could really divide a church and the people of God. And the new one that's going to come is 
should Christians be vaccine, take the vaccine or not take the vaccine? And there's going to be all kinds of different perspective on that. And I'm not here today to make any kind of determination. I'm just here today to say this. We are to love each other and we are to make the name of Christ greater than all of those things. There's a lot of things that can divide us. But there's one ultimate thing that should unite us and, and move us to love one another and be understanding with one another, and that is Jesus. And I just want to remind us this morning that if there's been anything that's happened in 2020, because it was a tumultuous year, and we're holding unforgiveness because of some, some perspective or some conversation or some post or some this or some that I just want to remind you and I that Christians don't hold on to unforgiveness. We forgive. We let go and we forgive others. Biblical love demands that. And that's part of the shaping of our faith to be like Christ. I'm still amazed when he was on the cross when he said, Father, Forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing in this moment as they mock you and as they mock me. So if He can do that with you and I and He is in us, we can do that with one another. We can forgive and let things go. It's hard? Absolutely. But welcome to the call to bear the word of God. Welcome to it. It's a hard calling. Some of these things sometimes are an issue of our heart. They're not an issue of the person that we're upset with. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes. If I need to examine me. I need to examine my heart about this. And we should always exercise humility in dealing with one another. And there's just pride with these religious leaders as they stand before Jesus and they just refuse to take his word. The last thing that should be marked on our life is a refusal of the word of Christ and the teaching of Christ. So in the difficult text, the difficult calls, we got to yield. We yield to his word. And here's the big danger. Jesus said there are two families, two fathers in the world. Not multiple fathers, two fathers. You either have a heavenly father or your father is Satan himself. So here's the next mark of false disciples. They live in line with Satan. They may think they're living in line with God, but they are not. And these false teachers that are out there in and around the church, who watch this, who have created a system, a teaching system, that says homosexuality is okay, this sexuality is okay, and they've created this system around that. They are teachers like these teachers here who have added to the Scripture and they have promoted something that's not right, that's un biblical and they are lining themselves up with lies if it's not the truth it's what it's a lie 
That's the reality. And again, not my perspective, Jesus' perspective. And so false disciples line their lives up with Satan. How do they do that? They take on his nature in some ways. They are, he says in 44, you are of your father the devil. Again, how well do you think that was received initially in that moment? They just were like, are you kidding me? Satan is my father? No, Abraham's my father, God's my father. No, 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 Jesus said. You're just like the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. What was his father's desires? He was a murderer from the beginning. The abortion industry in our country does not line up with God. That is murder. And that is in line with Satan. And so we as believers, we stand for what's true. We stand for life. We stand for righteousness. And so we speak to our culture to say, no, that's wrong. Here's what truth is. God makes people and he makes them beautiful. And he's so good at what he's doing. And they probably were thinking to themselves, you, what, what are you kidding me? I'm a murderer. And Jesus is like, well, I just told you twice that I know what you're doing. You want to kill me. Yeah, you're just like Satan. You're not like the Father. The Father sent me to die. But we were in unison about that. You and I, Pharisees, we are not in unison about why you want to kill me. You want to kill me for self-preservation's sake. So they are lined up with murder and death and destruction. False disciple, not only is Satan a murderer, but he is void of truth. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Church, a culture who has Satan as their father are going to continue to spew lies in every level of our culture. Government, media, if it's medicine, if it's school, they're just going to do that. Why? Because they speak what their father speaks. And so this is going to be there. And so what do we do? We discern. What do we have to know? We got to know the word so that we can discern things. Discernment, I think, has been missing for a long time. And I've been praying that discernment would come back to the people of God. To discern between the lies that are there. You see, to lie is fundamental to the nature of Satan. And the great danger of his deceptiveness is his lies. So he's a murderer. He's void of truth. He is the father of lies. So false disciples, ultimately, it's a sobering thought. They live their lives lined up with Satan, not God. All right, we just got a couple more things. Number eight. False disciples hear the truth. And because it's the truth, refuse to believe. 
that's what Jesus says in 45 and 46. He said, because I'm telling you the truth, and because you're like your father who can't stand in the truth, he's the father of lies, he's not open to the truth, he can't stand the truth, because I'm telling you the truth, you don't believe me, because you're just like him. And then he asks him, which of you have watched my life over the last years, have, can convict me of sin? What have you seen me do that's wrong? If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? And here's the reality. False disciples hear the truth. And because it's the truth and because they have their father, Satan, who can't stand in the truth, and they do exactly what he do. They don't stand in the truth and they refuse to believe because they'd rather believe the truth. And you know this. Jesus asked them this question. Which of you convicts me of sin at his trial when he gets arrested? What do they have to do? They have to take on the characteristic of their father who is a liar. And they have to lie about Jesus because they still can't find anything that he had done wrong. So they have to lie to convict him at his trials. So he asked them the question. Silence is their response. And no one has anything to say by way of accusation at that point in time. And so Jesus just says, if you have an example of me sinning, I'm open to hear it. And if you don't have an example, then why don't you believe, he asked them. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell him you the truth, then why don't you believe if you're men of the truth? Last principle is false disciples are ultimately not born of God. And there's a distinctive mark that we've been talking about here that dominates this section. Look at 47. Whoever is of God, if you are born of God, this will mark your life. You will hear the words of God and you will do them. That's the idea of hearing here. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them, you're not going to follow them, you can't bear them, is that you are not of God. At 17, I came to Christ. And you know what happened immediately in that moment? I, I had an ear that could hear the truth and understand it for the first time. That happened at salvation. I lived a life of confusion about things of faith before then, but there was something, there was something so amazing... The night of my salvation, I know I've told this before, but just hear it again. One of the first things I recognized on that Sunday night that had been wrong in my life my junior year of high school was how I treated my mother. And I immediately, in Waco, Texas that night, when I came to faith, it clearly, I know it was conviction of the Spirit, and I heard, I didn't, wasn't like writing on the wall, wasn't loud. Just right here, I knew that I had to go home after church that night and apologize to my mom. And I did. And I went home and said, hey, mom, this is what happened tonight in my life. I became a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I have something to say to you. I'm sorry for the way I've treated you. 
I was angry my junior year. I got so mad one time I threw an empty ice tray at my mom. I don't recommend that, by the way, <laughs> at all. You see, at salvation, we get an ear to hear. I've already written all of John 9 sermons, all of John 10 sermons, all of John 11 sermons. I'm halfway through John 12. But when we eventually get to John 10, Jesus is going to say, my sheep know my what? My voice. He's going to come back to this theme in John 10 that he is right here. Those who are of God, you know what they do? They love this. They love his word. They love his word. Even the hard things, they love his word. And if you and I spend our life clinging to man's ideas and man's words, it will keep you from accepting the words, the ways, and the work of God in your life. And what happens is eventually man's words can only lead to godlessness. And it will keep people from coming to Christ. All right, I'm going to close with this. I've been in my spare reading time for fun. I think it's fun reading the Bible. And I've been reading the book of Acts. And I've been just marveling at the faith of the men and women of the New Testament and how they just loved God in the midst of a godless culture, in the midst of persecution. And, and I've been reflecting on Acts 4 and 5. And it kind of flowed out of me going back to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. When you are crucified, do you live or you die? That's a, re- that's a response question. Do you live or die when you're crucified? You die, right? Are we in agreement on that? We die. So if I have been crucified with Christ, I have died. And Paul says here, I have been crucified with Christ, so I have died. Well then... Who's living? Well, Paul says, it is no longer I who who live. It's not me, but it is Christ who lives in me. He is the one who's doing this this living. And the life that I now live in the flesh, because i got skin, I've got a mouth, I need to eat, I need to drink. This life that I now live in the flesh, what do I do? I live by, watch, completely in line with Abraham. I live by faith. In the Son of God. So I've been asking, this is, this, is, this is me. I've been asking these things of me. If there's any benefit to you this morning, I, I hope that there is. So I've been asking myself this question. If I am dead, if I have died with Christ. One of my favorite shows is a show called Band of Brothers. And toward the end, there's this guy that they marveled about, about in their in their company and uh, his name was Ronald Spears and they were like man he's just they, they called him crazy man and and one day they were all nervous before battle and 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 Spears just says to them you know what the problem with you guys is y'all are worried about tomorrow I've already considered myself dead and so that's why I live boldly and I run and I do this and I obey because I've already counted myself as dead So I've been asking myself that question from Jesus and Ronald Spears. If I am dead, then why do I live for the applause of man? Why do I live fearful? Why am I worried about anything 
today or anything that may come. If I have died, I have been crucified, and He is alive living in me, then I don't need to feel threatened. I don't have to live in fear. I am dead. And when one dies to self, you know what naturally happens? There's a boldness that comes out of that life. A confidence that says, I'm dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I, this is how I'm to live. And when we don't die to self, we long to be liked and affirmed. And I believe one of the great fruits of boldness and, and great fruits of dying is that we become just like Jesus. There will be opposition in and around us for the stand that we make in regard to truth. And in Acts chapter 4, in Acts 3, Peter and John heal this lame man. And they bring him forward and they wag their finger at him. Hey, we're threatening you. Don't you talk about this name. Don't talk about the name. They're like, no, 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 we're going to talk about the name. We're going to talk about the name. So in Acts 5, they're still talking about the name. They've been threatened. Don't talk about the name. Don't talk about the name. Well, we're talking about the name. And people are coming to faith, and they bring them in. And they, they recognize, oh, threatening them didn't stop them. How about let's beat them? And they beat them. And foolishness of the same Pharisees and Sadducees that are talking to Jesus here. They thought, well, let's mark their body. And you know what Peter and John do? They leave bleeding, rejoicing that they have been counted worthy to suffer. Watch. For the name. For the name. If we have died then there should be a confidence to live. And so is the question then, have we not really truly died? I'm not saying that you're not a Christian, but if you're a Christ follower, have you and I gotten to the place, this is what I've been asking myself, have I gotten to the place where I recognize I am crucified with Christ? It's not dope to live anymore. I'm to yield in such a way that he who is alive lives in me alive and in this fleshly life that I live until I get to be with him. I live by faith, trusting. Watch. Trusting what they're not doing here. Trusting what he says and trusting who he is. So I'm wrestling with that in these days inside here. And I want to live for him. And I know you do too. Let's pray.